invite you to turn to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. John chapter 1. And then if I could have your attention, I have I have five different books here that I want to give away. And I, I, I want you to think, some. there are many of you that say, I'm, I'm not a reader. In fact, I'm going to ask Paul and Riker, can you be my pastor outers? So can you get ready? I'm going to hand you a book to point to somebody, okay? So why don't you stand here, and Paul, you stand there, and you're going to watch who raises their hand, and you're going to walk over to them and give them this book. I have five books here, and I want to challenge you towards this. If, if you raise your hand and say you're going to take this book, you can keep it, but would you read it in the next couple months? But I'm not asking you to read it because you're just a book fella, a book gal, and you just like books, and you want to have your curiosity pricked more and you just want to read. I'm asking some of you to raise your hand because you need to so that you can bless the rest of the body. Remember last week I said you're all, we're all part of one body? You have a responsibility to one another. So you have a responsibility to take the truth in this book and to maybe let it bless your prayers or impact your prayers for one another in a new way that the whole church will actually be benefited because you read that book. So you actually have a job to do and a responsibility when you read this so that you could really edify the whole body, even in ways that you don't even think. It might be just through praying, but it might be through a personal conversation or a text message or some a follow-up in someone's life that God will encourage you. Maybe a way that you'll pray for me as the pastor more or the deacons more. So here are five books. Would you please raise your hand? And would you speak some of you? And would you say, I need to do this in order to bless the body of Christ and glorify Jesus. So I have five of them. They're all related to the sermon today. One is, How Can I Be Right With God? By R.C. Sproul. How Can I Be Right With God? All of these are pretty small books. And this is a little book about how to be right with God. Who would read that book? Take it. Tracy, could you pass that book? Tracy. Okay. There's more. Here's another one. By R.C. Sproul. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born again? Who would you read that? That's the deal that's again. And then I have, I, have, I have three more. So, in fact, if any of you want one of these books and you didn't get it, would you talk to me? I'd love to get it for you. Okay, one of them, really, this, this, is about, this isn't just about, oh, good, you got a gift. No, you got you got to give back by praying, reading it, and blessing the congregation, even in ways that you might not know. But, like, I believe God's going to use really feel convicted that God's going to bless us because we're reading this book. Here's one, and some of you might be quick not to raise your hand. Am I really a Christian? Um, this, this is a book that I would encourage you. It's a bigger book. It's a bulkier book. Am I really a Christian? And it really wrestles through. There's a lot of people that make false professions of faith. What does the Bible truly say about this subject? It might be that you'll read it and you'll pass it on to somebody else and you'll be able to help your own assurance of your salvation. There are some times that Jesus said, some will say, Lord, Lord, and they, they're not followers of Jesus yet. And who, who wants to read this? Okay, you can go ahead. Raise, raise your hand. Thank you. Okay, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die by John Piper. 
scripture reading. These are all little devotional books. And um, would you give this to Karen? Karen, would you raise your hand? Okay, this is for parents. Parents, helping children to understand the gospel by desiring God, Mike, John, and uh, Michael, John, Mike, Michael, and John, and Sally, and Michael. Who, who helping their children understand the gospel is really good. Could you bring that back to the Cornell Street? Thank you. All right. John chapter 1, you may be seated. Thanks for your help. See, we need to get everybody involved this morning here. Okay. Are you ready? Let me tell you an amazing story about a person that I want to be like and I hope you want to be like as well. John Harper was born in a Christian home in Glasgow, Scotland in 1872. When he was about 14 years old, he became a Christian. God did a work in his life. From that time on, he began to tell others about Jesus Christ and His saving love. At age 17, he began to preach going from down the streets of his village and pouring out his soul in passionate cries saying, Believe in Jesus, trust Him. He became a pastor, and he, great, he brought up a church that grew from a small number to 500 with many conversions of Christ in a very dark land at that time in England, believe it or not. He was such a witnesser of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he shared everybody the truth of the gospel that the, the famous church in Chicago called Moody Church, after D.L. Moody, had written him and asked him to come to their church to train their church on sharing the gospel. And so he came and did that. And it was so successful. They so appreciated. They asked him to do it a second time. And so it was that it was it was that Harper boarded a ship one day with a second class ticket at Southampton, England, for the voyage to America. Harper's wife had died just a few years before, and he had with him his only child, Nana, age six. Now, what happened after this, we know only from two sources. One is from Nana, who died in 1986 at the age of 80. She remembered being woken up by her father a few nights into the journey. It was about midnight, and he said that the ship that they were on had been struck by an iceberg. Harper told Nana that another ship was about to, there, about to get there to rescue them, but as a precaution, he was going to put her on a lifeboat with an older cousin who had accompanied them. As for Harper, he would wait until the other ship arrived. Now, the rest of the story is a tragedy well known, at least some of it is. Little Nana and her cousin were saved, but the ship they were saved on or they were sailing on was the Titanic. The only way we know what happened to John Harper after this is because in a prayer meeting in Hamilton, Ontario, some months later, a young Scotsman stood up in tears and told an extraordinary story of how he was converted to Christ. He explained that he had been on the Titanic the night it had been struck by an iceberg. He had clung to a piece of floating debris in the freezing water. Suddenly, a wave brought a man near, John Harper. He too was holding a piece of wreckage. He called out, 
Man, are you safe? No, I'm not, I replied. He shouted back, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore Harper away, but a little later he was washed back beside me again. Are you saved now? He called out again. No, I answered. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Then losing his hold on the wood, Harper sank. And there alone in the night with two miles of water underneath me, I trusted Christ as my Savior. I am John Harper's last convert. This morning you may wonder what does this moving story have to do with this first paragraph of what I'm going to now present to you is our church covenant. Started this series last week with an introduction and I said that I'm beginning a series on what it means to be a member of faith by using our church covenant to help us. A church covenant, which you should have in your bulletin insert, is a Bible-driven document, driven by the Word, that the church adopted years ago. Many churches do this, that describes promises and commitments that we make to God and each other as a church. You see, our church covenant begins by asking any potential church covenant signer, are you saved? Are you saved? brother and sister, or potential brother and sister. Friend, this morning, are you saved? In fact, John Harper answered the words of Paul, the apostle, to a Philippian jailer in Acts 16, when Paul, when the jailer said, so what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Covenant, if you were looking at documents, says this. Having been led by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the public confession of our faith, having been baptized by immersion in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and this assembly solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another as one body in Christ. Who can sign this covenant? Who can enter in? Well, at the end, if you were to take it backwards in this paragraph, those who see themselves as in Christ in one body and are willing to commit themselves Specific, into specific ways to specific believers with a type of seriousness, that's the word solemnness, with seriousness and joyfulness. It's, it's a duty and it's a delight, but it's, they view themselves as one body because they're in Christ. But, but also, critical to this, those who have been led by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their and those who have been baptized as a confession of that faith. We have a we have a cross here, but below this cross is a body of water. When we fill it, 
There's an empty tank right now in our baptism, baptismal tank, where we baptize those who have made profession of faith in Christ and said, I'm going to follow Jesus. He is, I've repented of my sins and I've turned in faith to Jesus. I've received him as Lord. And if you haven't done that, I call you to do that if you haven't received him as Lord. Okay. Here's my question to all of you this morning. This is, this is for everyone. I want to tell you, if any, I'm going to describe some people I'm talking to this morning. Tell me if it fits you. You don't have to tell me right now, but just tell me later. Have you been led by the Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you? Are you able to answer this question with a joyful and hearty yes? And without any doubt, based on good biblical reason for what He's done. If your child, or grandchild, or neighbor, or co-worker came up to you this week and said, what does it mean to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior? Would you stumble for a few minutes and blather some things and kind of move things around and then hope that the wish the pastor was next to you? Or would you be able to give a truly helpful answer? And, let me ask you this. Does your unbelieving co-worker or the person that works for you, does your unbelieving friend, non-Christian neighbor that you've just got to know or you share sports with and they've got to know you because your kids are in sports together, would they know that something is truly different about you? And then when they find out you're a Christian, they go, huh, that must be your story. Because you have a different passion, a different priority, a different compassion, a different tenderness than they have. Non-Christian friends, there might be some in this room in this room this morning. We have a message for you. It's this message. This message this morning could, and we hope it will, change the directory, the complete trajectory of your entire life, your eternity, and afterlife. You may know that you're not a Christian believer yet. You know some things about it, but you haven't really crossed the line. You have no true assurance of that, or at least you're not sure, and you're searching. It's our prayer that you will be convicted about Jesus Christ and be saved. It's called converted to Christ. If you're saved, it will be because you were led by the Holy Spirit. It will be a work internally through this message. But every church has also had these categories of people. Receiver and self-deceived attendant. And they're sometimes members. This message is for you. There are usually people in church who know they're not saved. They know they haven't had the power of God to actually transform them. They might have prayed a prayer, but they, they never had a, they never were truly transformed. They're acting like they're saved, and they're okay with that. They might be ashamed to tell the truth to someone else, a parent or someone else they've known for a long time, because they are embarrassed to do so. And they want to please others around them. That was the testimony of Bob Robertson who came and shared his testimony. Or there are some who might be in this room who are self-deceived. Please listen up. They think that they are saved or are a true Christian because they prayed the sinner's prayer. They, quote, accepted Jesus into their heart. 
They walked an aisle at camp or church. Maybe someone, quote, led them to the Lord, but they never truly received Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus said that many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do these things? And he'll say, I never knew you. In this case, they're wrong. Comfort is the wrong and their comfort of assurance of salvation. And God is saying, you have not yet believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and have you not truly therefore received Him as Lord and Savior. There are some in this room who are truly believers. Many of you and most of you probably are. Praise God for that. But some are tossed around and not strong. And this message is for you. If you are saved by the Spirit of God, He'll convict you of your sin because you will see Jesus is far better because His Spirit is at work in you. You will see that your your salvation and baptism mean that you have decided to follow Jesus with no turning back, as the song goes. You've been drifting, and God will use this word to turn you back to Him. Not to get you saved, but to remember what your salvation meant Return to your first love. And there are some in this room who are saved and you are growing. And this is for you as well. You need to cherish this message that I want to share with you this morning. You need to you need to cherish it and know it. And you need to share this message to help your fellow brother or future brother, because they're not saved yet, and help the lost know the gospel. Members of Faith Church in Linden, listen. This is for you. Whether you're a leader, like a pastor or a deacon, or lead some Sunday school class, or a Bible study, or not. Whether you are mature in the faith, or not mature. Whether you are new in the faith, or not new. If you're a member here, we need to realize, and this is what this series is about, we are together jointly responsible to share this message with the world, with our lives and with our words. We are to defend the purity of this gospel. If you see me teaching another gospel, Galatians says, you should consider me a curse and kick me out. You're responsible that we're faithful. Do you know this gospel? Are you ready to defend it and to live it out and help others live it out? So this morning, this Sunday morning, every Sunday morning is like a job training for you to live out your part in the body, to build each other up, and to live out the commission that our Lord and Savior gave us. So, oh, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, have you received Him? These words bring us to John's Gospel. We're not going to spend a lot of time in John's Gospel, other than I want to point this to you. Our church covenant lists a phrase that is not just made up, it's actually in the Bible. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, it says, But to all who did receive him, talking about this is commentary now on Jesus Christ, but to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you see that? You are not made a child of God because you are born in this world. You are made a child of God because He gives you the right to be a child. And you get you receive the right to be a child. All who receive Him, and how do you receive Him? You believe in His name. And if 
you do that, verse 13 says, that would demonstrate that you were born. What do you mean you were born? Different type, different kind of born. You were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. You're born of God. So I'm going to read that four times again. You're born of God. Receiving him, Jesus, is believing on his name. So you ask, what does it mean to believe in his name? Now, please listen, because you need to know this personally to apply it to your own life, but also to your children and to your neighbor. To believe in his name means to be convinced of some really important truths and to embrace them with an absolute heartfelt trust. You embrace the truth of who Jesus truly is and what he has done, and it is Change the trajectory of your life. Listen to these words. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever what? Believes. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, notice here in these passages, it doesn't say you have to have a tremendous amount of believing to make this stick. No. We are not saved by the quality of our belief. We are saved by the object of our faith and our belief. And our belief. Jesus is the strong one for the weak in faith. And we cling to him and say, save myself, but you can save me. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. To receive Jesus Christ as our Savior is to believe in Him, to rely on Him, to believe what He, who He is, I'm going to speak on this in a minute, and what He's done. And it becomes personal. It becomes real. It's not a I recognize that, got my Bible signed, got my baptism certificate, I move on, I'll go to church every once in a while. It is more personal than when you were first born. Can you think of anything more personal than getting born? It changed everything. And when God saves you, you are birthed by God. Many, many are confused, though, with this let me give you a few things that it's not. To believe in Jesus is not simply to hear the message that we're okay. Brothers and sisters, friends, we're not okay. Apart from God. That's the, to believe in Jesus isn't to think that, okay, we're just okay. Oh, oh good, I need to believe that. Jesus came to tell me I'm okay. He came to say you're not okay and you need a rescuer. Number two, to believe in Jesus is not simply to believe that God is love. There's a whole phrase in the Bible, God is love. There's no love apart from God, but God is also justice and holiness and righteousness. He does not ignore justice at the to give love its reign. He brings all of them together. The God, to believe in Jesus isn't to believe, okay, God is love. And to believe in Jesus is not simply to trust that Jesus wants to be your friend. You're not going to hear Paul. You just say, 
Jesus wants you to be his friend, just wants you to grab him. He's your friend. Why don't you take him? No, that's not the call of the gospel. Oh, there is there's no friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. That's a glorious and beautiful truth. But that is not what it means to believe in Jesus. It means to bow our knees to the only one who could take away our sin, who's the only rightful ruler of the universe, and we say, I got it all wrong. I need you, and I see you as who you really are. And I believe I call upon, as the book of Acts says, I call upon the name of the Lord to be saved through Romans 10. And to believe in Jesus is not simply to commit to living rightly now. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start practicing better. I'm not going to, I'm going to clean up my conversation. I'm not going to quit swearing, using profanity. I'm going to quit looking at porn. I'm going to quit doing those things. That's not what it means to believe in Jesus. Now, believing in Jesus makes a difference in those areas, but that's not believing in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus is not simply to pray a prayer. It's called the sinner's prayer. You're asking Jesus in your heart or coming forward in an altar. It might, you might have got saved in doing all those things, but it's not necessarily the case. Churches for decades and decades have encouraged people that if you just pray this one prayer, you, just, you prayed it, you're saved, and that's not anywhere found in the Bible. The Bible says you receive him by faith. And if you've received him by faith, it's going to include a type of heartfelt repentance. And there's going to be a change of life, not by your own works, but by His work in you. To believe in Jesus is to hear the Word of God. To hear the message of Jesus Christ. That's why I desire to, and pray for me, to faithfully every Sunday, whether I'm preaching in 1 Samuel, or in the Psalms, or in James, or in a message like this, would be faithful to call you to receive to the gospel because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, John 10, uh, Romans 10 says. So that when the church in Ephesus that I talked about last week, boy, the church of Ephesus is just going bonkers and there's great things happening in this church. But Paul wrote them and he says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel that I'm right now this morning proclaiming to you, he calls it the gospel of your salvation. What does the word gospel mean? The good news. You believed in Him, and you were sealed with the Holy Promise Spirit. Paul says to the Romans, um, he could have got, he knows, he knows persecution's coming, but he says, I want to go to Rome and preach the gospel because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. I believe that on any given Sunday while I'm preaching this word, and I, I, I stop and I pause and say, hey, you might be here this morning and you need to receive Christ. You might have been coming for 20 years and you still need to receive Christ. That in that moment, God, the Holy Spirit could do a transaction right from my, my mouth to your heart and you're going to be saved. To hear this message, it's the Holy Spirit does and transforms hearts. To believe this glorious truth is heartfelt and life-changing. Because you see, the good news is not simply that we're doing better. No, all have sinned, Romans 3 says, and have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all are condemned. We are under God's just wrath. And to be saved, we understand that we deserve God's 
punishment in full. We are not okay. To be saved means that we were in danger and we needed to be rescued. It makes no sense for us to feel like we need to be saved unless we know we're in danger. You see, the good news is not simply also that we that God is love. Yes, God is love, but our concept of love is distorted. We don't understand the purity of God's love. Our modern conception of love is like a grandfatherly kind niceness, not even kindness. He wants to see everyone getting along, having a good time, and as long as that, well, God is holy and righteous and all that good kind of stuff, but he's going to just kind of throw it away on the side and just forgive us. No, God's good. God's justice. God's perfect. Every, every sense of justice that you've had built in your system and your body, every feeling of justice when you see things are wrong, comes from an innateness that comes from your maker who says all wrongdoings must be punished or it's a travesty, it's a crime against the universe, not the universe, against God. God is love, but he's also justice. The goodness, the good news is not simply that he wants to be your friend or he'll be your friend. He is to be your Lord, your boss. You bow the knee to him. You follow him. Oh, what a wonderful Lord he is. The good news is not simply that we should live rightly, but he cleans us up. But it's to, to admit that we could never live rightly on our own and we need him to rescue us. So I want to conclude by saying, what is the good news? Or what I've been talking about, you need to be a member. I'm, I'm not so much concerned about membership, by the way. I'm, I'm concerned right now here for you to be saved. And if you're not, if, if you're saved, I'm concerned that you know how to share this with your neighbor. How, how often have you, have you shared this message with unbelievers? I was reminded this week, have you ever heard of anti-conversion laws in certain countries? In certain Muslim countries especially, they have these anti-conversion laws. You cannot witness to some. You could be a Christian, but if you try to convert somebody and share the gospel, you're arrested. We know they're called, they're called anti-conversion laws. I, as far as I know, we still don't have any anti-conversion laws in this country. How are you doing with that freedom right now? Would it make any difference if we had it? If we had anti-conversion laws? Or would we just kind of have the same pattern? It's almost as though we are rubbing it in God's face. He gives us this freedom. He gives us this beautiful salvation. Our church is to be, we should all in our different gifts be so burdened for everyone around us. Not with judgmentalism, but with love. So we need to back, just listen up and hear this. What is saving faith? I said, I said that to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's faith. Faith in God. To, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive Him by believing in His name, what is saving faith? I just want to answer it with two assumptions. They're in your notes, in the back page of your bulletin. Number one, it means objective content. And two, it's heartfelt faith. To be saved, young person, you're here this morning. It includes, saving faith includes that you believe something objectively. You're convinced that this God, you don't understand why, but you take it by faith that God said it. I'm going to believe it. These objective truths, they're true. You're going to believe those, but it's going to include a heartfelt 
mind the question. Here are, some, here are five things. I'm going to go quickly, but five things. You have them in your notes. What do you need to believe? That you're a sinner. No one gets saved until they realize their need of Savior. Jesus said that I have not come to the righteous, but to the unrighteous. I am a physician and a doctor for those who are sick. If you don't admit that you have a spiritual sickness, a soul sickness, literally a soul deadness, you won't repent. God's only saved broken and humble people. That's why when Christians are judgmental and hypocritical and self-righteous, it is, it just doesn't work. It doesn't, it's total contradictory to the gospel. Instead, we say, oh, mercy, have mercy on me, a sinner. But it, secondly, you, you confess that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Romans says, Romans says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that really means He is, he is God. And you believe in your heart that He raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. He is God. He's fully God, Jesus is. He's not just the best teacher in the world. See, I don't understand it, but he's God came and became man. And so he was truly man, so he could actually meet our, our own needs, and he could relate to us, but he's perfect, and he could bear the weight of all the sins of the world, and he's God and man. And third, we need to believe that Jesus saves through his death. This is so critical to the gospel. We're, we're going to celebrate this with communion on the cross. Jesus bore the curse of death that our sins deserve. On the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God who's just and right. And when we come to get saved, we go, you are right to be angry at my sins. And he poured it out on Jesus. On the cross, Jesus took our blame, our guilt, our sins, and the punishment that they deserved, and our condemnation was left on him. We must believe that we're sinners. He is God and man. He saved through his death, and we need to believe he rose from the dead. He's not a dead Savior as a martyr. He's a risen Savior who rose bodily from the dead, and we confess it. We don't understand it. I've never seen another person rise from the dead, but he did, and I believe it. And there are witnesses and testaments of the fact that he arose, and he appears before many witnesses. Jesus is our risen Savior, number four. We believe that He was raised bodily. And lastly, Jesus is Lord. He is, he is boss. He is the one I am to bow the knee to. He is King. Jesus doesn't come and say, come and be my, let, let me be your big buddy. There was a, there's an offense in which He is our big brother. He went before us according to Hebrews. He's our Lord. We bow the knee to Him. If you were to be saved and receive Him, you would come and say, I believe that I must come here. He died for me. He died on the cross and He rose from the dead and He is Lord now. But that's not quite enough. You see, I believe Satan and the demons believe these things. Satan believes that he's a sinner and he believes that Jesus is God and he saw it firsthand. And Satan believes that Jesus did something miraculously on the cross to save sinners, and he rose from the dead, and that he's Lord because he sees he's Lord all the time. But Satan is not saved. 
Satan cannot and has not the capacity without the name of his permission to say he trusts in Jesus. But we can. And he calls us to it. Everyone here, everyone here and everyone in your neighborhood, the most unlikely converts, come up with the list of them in your head. Who are the most unlikely people to get saved? Maybe you were one of those lists of five at one time. God can save. To have a heartfelt trust in Christ is, is, is what's so vital. The difference between objective content and a heartfelt trust is maybe the difference between seeing someone on the sidewalk, waving at them, nodding them, recognizing they're there. We recognize that Jesus did all these things. Have a merry way. Go on your way. And a personal heart, heartfelt trust means changing your direction of repentance in which you were walking because you're gripped with a love and a trust like you never had before. He is the way to eternal life. Non-Christian friend, would you receive Christ this morning? Would you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved? You're a sinner. You are. Like everyone else in this room, we only are forgiven sinners or unforgiven sinners. Jesus is the God-man who died and He died on the cross in order to take away your sins if you will but believe Him and put your faith in Him and turn away from your own ability to do it yourself. You can't outsin God's capacity to save you. And if you're here and you're self-deceived, I pray that it would be the sermon, these sermons on Sundays would be like smelling salts to wake you out of your deception. And you go, oh, I need to believe I haven't been believing. I've just gone through the motions. And if you're here deceived and you know you're not saved, why would you care about the honor of people when someday you will face the shame of God? But believe in Him today. Professing believer but uncertain, would you draw near to Him and trust in Him? He doesn't save you based on your deeds of faith, but by His grace. And by His grace, you, if you trusted in Him, keep trusting Him and thank Him. Say, I, I believe, but my help my unbelief. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and save you and follow Him. I remember, I'm closing here with this. You remember hearing Mike Dunford's story. He was a pastor's kid. He was not saved, and he knew it. He was 18 years old. He was embarrassed what everyone would say. How could he, an 18-year-old who had been baptized, actually say he's not saved? And God broke him and humbled him and got saved. Not that long ago, I received a call from Michelle. I don't know if she's here this morning. I met with her on several times on Wednesday nights, and we talked about the gospel, shared the gospel, this message with her, and she said, I believe this to some degree with a head, but I'm not ready to heartfelt trust yet. I'm not ready to surrender myself to Jesus. And I said, keep seeking him, keep reading this word, keep coming. One Sunday afternoon, she texted me and she said, I know you're saved. Believer, do you know and believe this enough to share with others? If not, here's your heart. Keep get hit by that. Where's your heart even? And and learn and and follow him in this. Are you equipped? This message is something. You must know, study to be equipped to 
share with others. That we have loved the Savior. That He saved us. If you're not saved, don't give up or turn. You don't know how long you have. No one on the Titanic thought that that thing would sink. It was the unsinkable ship, right? What was it? Thousands perished that night. Many screaming in terror. One confidence that he had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and all he could think about was, are you saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Father. As we come and take communion, O minister to our hearts, invite the worship team to come. Before we take communion, if you keep your head bowed and eyes closed, I want to invite you, if you're here and you have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not received Him by faith in His name, and repented and turned away from yourself and looked to Him in heartfelt trust on Christ to do that, you can do that right now. The proof of whether it's real is not whether you write it in the Bible or even get baptized. It's grow and see the peace grow up in your life and the assurance of His grace as well. We're going to take communion. Oh, Father, I pray that you would draw us to a conviction to love this gospel and care, care about it. Help us to take treasure the fact that if we've received you and if we haven't, I pray that no one will leave without having received 